Welcome. Thank you for joining us here on the Construction Leaders Podcast presented by CMA, where each episode will provide interviews with diverse perspectives, as well as trends that are affecting the construction and project management industry and beyond. You'll hear us cover a variety of topics such as the economy, ethics, leadership, innovation, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as lessons learned. On behalf of CMA, I'm your host, Nick Soto, alongside my colleague, Carly Trout. Starting a new business can be a daunting task. There are tons of issues with entrepreneurs uh, and they encounter so much from legal issues, financing, marketing, human resources, to coming up with even a great name. The list can seem endless. Many inspiring entrepreneurs are simply overwhelmed by all the things they are expected to know and are afraid to take risks. On this episode, we welcome two guests who have been successful at overcoming the challenges of starting their firms. Ann Cotter, CCM of Cotter Consulting, is the president of a certified woman business enterprise based out of Chicago, Illinois, founded in 1990. Paul Foster, CCM, FCMAA, president and CEO of Foster CM Group, is based out of San Antonio, Texas, and was founded in 92. So happy 30th anniversary to you, Paul. Thank you. Before we get started today, I was looking at your websites and I noticed both of you, and I, and I, I love to see it uh, when I was looking about your organizations and your companies, really revolved around culture. And I see that that was the first thing that was dropped down on uh, the Cotter website and thought, Paul, you had that underneath yours too, is uh, things that you guys do for the community. Uh, and I thought that was really great. But what I think everyone wants to start off knowing is what prompted you to start your own business over 30 years ago for both of you now. So, Paul, why don't you go ahead and lead us off here? Yeah, I I had a my start was a little bit probably different than most. Uh, I got called into business from a friend. Actually, I was working for a top 100 CM firm in Florida. I was based in Florida at the time. And. Our company had a project back in San Antonio, where I'm from, and they were having a problem meeting their small minority-owned goal. A good friend of mine was actually the leading that stadium management team for the city, and we were a consultant to the city. And uh, she said, listen, if you guys can't find the right consultants, you know, we're going to have to maybe go to the next qualified firm. And she said, what you need to do, and she said, this is what she basically said, you need to fire Paul Foster. He understands your culture. He knows your your business, how you do business, and let him start a, a business here in San Antonio. And they all laughed. They all laughed. Uh, and apparently, the person that hired me in San Antonio called the the uh, president who's out of Philadelphia and said, listen, John, uh, got this. We're having this problem in San Antonio. We got word that uh, we're going to have to make a quick decision to bring on another consultant. And by the way, this is what her name was, Jalen, said that we need to maybe look at giving Paul an offer to go into business. Would you think that would make sense? He said, oh, man, I, I really don't know. You need to talk to Paul. So they called me. I didn't let them finish the conversation. I said, heck yeah, you know, that's a great opportunity to be able to uh, start your business with the company that you're working for. You know, the same, you mentioned culture, Nick, the same cultural fit. And um, that's what prompted it. I always wanted to go in business, but I had no idea how to do it. So I was kind of 
I was kind of forced into the situation and uh, they said, yeah, we'll do this. This is a two year project. And after that, uh, you can come back to work with me. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> once I'm in, I'm in, buddy. So that was, uh, that's kind of how that started out. Well, and my story is a little different, um, but also really um, underscores why we have the culture that we have. And that is when I started Cotter, um, I had had a career, I'm a civil engineer, but had been on the project management side of commercial developments. But I had um, taken a four-year sabbatical um, and had my third and fourth children and you know, thought because it was back in the late 80s, I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And but realized I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I loved what I did, but raising my children was my number one priority. So I started a, a Cotter with just with the idea that I was just going to take be a one-person show, um, take as much work as I could, but raise my children. So what began is something that was more of a lifestyle business. Then I, I realized early on, I love business development and, um, and the strategy of going after and winning. So then when I was, I, after three years, I was able to hire um, employees. And so when I started hiring employees, num number one, you know, everyone asks now about flexibility. Well, you know, another reason I started my business is because there was no flexibility in real estate development companies or construction companies back in the 90s. There also wasn't the technology to support flexibility. But from the beginning, we had a culture of flexibility. And um, also I had worked for a couple of really tough firms. And so I had some pretty strong opinions about culture and how important it is and how you treat people. And so really just that was the beginning of it. And, um, you know, I, there's no magic, that's for sure. So once the seed was planted um, and you had the idea that, yes, I, I can start my own business. I'm going to start my own business. What were some of the, the tools and resources that you used to get started starting off? Like Nick said, there's so many things to think about, and I'm sure it was overwhelming. So what were some of those tools that you used early on? Well, I love to tell young people that I went to the library and I got a book on business plans so I could really understand what a business plan was. Um, this is long before, you know, before the internet and where I could just Google it and get a form and download a form. But I mean, it, it taught me that, um, you know, what, what it takes to have a business, right? Everything. So I thought it was very helpful. And I always suggested too to budding entrepreneurs. Um, so I would say that I, I'm very blessed. My husband of almost 45 years now is an attorney and retired now, but he's an attorney who always, uh, small business, small, medium-sized business were always his clients. So I had built-in legal counsel, um, had close friend in accounting who, you know, quickly helped me with that. And then another good friend in insurance. And they always say a business person should surround yourself with legal accounting and, and insurance is always a really important part of it. So uh, from the beginning, I had that good, solid foundation. Um, I also come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I you know, was able to learn and observe uh, from them. Yeah, it sounds like you had a good group of people around you. So that's great. How about you, Paul? And Nick, one of the things that we started out is with tools, you know, maybe computers were out in 1992, but I didn't know how to operate one. They were using, what is that, DOS? Was it 
something like that. Windows wasn't out. And I remember on a project, they said, we're going to have to do our reports on a computer. And I, they tried to take me through that. And I said, no, no way. I said, you're going to have to have a secretary to do that because I'm not going to learn that. It's too difficult. But I, I, I mean, the tools we had was basically I had uh, a team. I found out that a team was important, like Ann mentioned having an accountant, having an attorney, having an insurance. And I'll tell you a really funny story, a good story, I hope. Uh, from an accounting standpoint, I had two employees or three employees, I think, when we started out. And I would I would be up all night doing payroll, you know, and making so many mistakes, FICA, all that. So, I, you know, I was going through this little paper trying to find out the, the, the schedule on how to pay people. And Every quarter, I would get penalized by the IRS because I was making mistakes. I had a CPA, which was a high school friend. He was a CPA. And I, I remember going to him and I said, you know, I come to you quarterly, but it seems like every quarter I come in, I have, I get a letter from the IRS saying that I did something wrong. He said, Paul, I need to help you. And you need to let me help you. And I was thinking help meant money. You know, and I said, I, I don't have a lot of money to pay you. And I didn't, I was too embarrassed to tell him that. So basically what I did, I went to three or four quarters or maybe a year, year and a half. And I said, Phil, I said, how much would it cost me for you to do my payroll? He said, Paul, you got three employees. He said, I charge you maybe, he said, you're a good friend. I charge you maybe $25 of payroll. And I said, you're kidding me. I said, I've been doing all of this and I've been having all of these headaches. And for and you're gonna and that was when I found out it's important to have a team. Mistakes I made in the outset is trying to figure out how to do it myself. Now I learned some things from it, but it was hard knocks. It was costly. So uh, and then attorney having of course, once I found that out, I said, I'm gonna find an attorney, I'm gonna pay an attorney as well. The team was able to materialize through hard knocks for me. I just didn't know any better. You know, I didn't have, and, and sometimes it's what you don't know and what you don't ask puts you in a predicament that you can't crawl out of unless you, you know, I don't know if it was pride or ignorance. It was one of the two <laughs> that caused me not to do the right thing and, and ask questions. Well, I took the time to speak to uh, two people, one who, currently works for you, Paul, and somebody who used to work for you, Aaron. And I really wanted to dig in and get some of the juicy, you know, what is Paul like? And what is Ann like? And none of them had anything but great, wonderful things to say, which speaks a lot to that culture you were talking about and speaks a lot to uh, being part of that team that you mentioned, Paul. I guess one of the things that I struggle with when I hear starting a business is, you know, it's very overwhelming with all those things to do. Did you start off with a team of professionals, Paul? Or, you know, how did you get to the point where you knew you needed to add more people and to take that next step and take the business a little bit further? Good question. Now, I started out, it was just me. And then when we were on a project, we were on actually a, a dome stadium project. The client, uh, which was, our, as I said, our, my ex-employer asked, you know, we need to bring some more people on. They said, you, you need to bring two more uh, QA inspectors. So I found those people. And, you know, that was when I found out the difficulty of having, that's my first time really, uh, maybe second time, maybe interviewing someone and just trying to find someone that fits into your culture. You know, you've got the first two people come in you go, okay, they're qualified, but 
I think they may have, you know, they may have some baggage that, and you would, you would call a reference and they said, you know, you know how sometimes they'd ask, you ask, you know, how are they? And they, they were like, uh, they're all right, you know, and then you knew something was an issue. So uh, that was bringing people on was really uh, a challenge because I really didn't know. Fortunately, the two, the first two I brought on really worked out well. So I, 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 I was fortunate that way. But, you know, I've had some I've had some nightmares <laughs> through the 30 years. I'm sure, Ann, you probably have had some, too. Oh, yeah. First person I hired, I had a fire. Yeah. Because it was pissing off my clients. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it is. It's yeah. 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 Difficult. What would you say your biggest uh, lessons learned from being a leader and managing so many people throughout the years? Do you have um, a number one lessons learned for leadership? I, I think for me is you have to be able to listen. Um, you know, sometimes as a leader, you, especially when you're, you're early on in your, your business, you want to tell them what to do and how you would do it. And because you've been the only one that has been doing a lot of the work. Later on, I found out is that you hire people so they would tell you how to do that. If you hire good people, they can give you suggestions on how best to do work, how best to solve a problem or whatever it may be, and listening. Now, it may not be the ultimate solution, but their take on it always gives you an idea, uh, maybe bring something to your um, mindset that you hadn't thought about. And collaboratively, you're able to solve the problem. But first, it was so hard to be a good listener early on because you were always trying to solve the problem because that was all you did is solve all of your problems. But um, bringing people in and letting them do their job and listening to them is uh, advantageous. My answer to that is that uh, the one thing I wish I had understood earlier was being a cheerleader. As someone who's a woman of my generation, um, you know, being the only woman in civil engineering in college and then being in construction industry and, and real estate development, you know, you were always driving, you were always pushing and also being an engineer, you know, it's always problem solving, problem solving, right? And drive, drive, drive. And I took that into my business. And I would say that I bumped people along the way too much. Um, and I think even growing up, I never wanted to be a cheerleader. So I was always fighting that. But I think one of the real successes in leading any people is, is really having that very positive, supportive Listening is an important part of that, that I've had to learn uh, the hard way over a lot of years, but I, I hope that I'm better at it. But I also will say you're always learning something, right? I'll make a mistake here. I'll correct it. I'll do something else. So it's, it's never perfect. Well, that, that leads me to my next big question for you guys. And that's a lot of people always worried about starting their own business because of financial capital and things like that. So how did you make it through your first few years? And how did you make it through year one and year three and year five, all the way up to 32? Paul, you're at 30 now. And how did you guys make it through those first years? Well, I was in a fortunate position that I could go without a salary because um, my husband was supporting the family. So I think my you know, I went out to get work, then do the work, collect on the work, you know, get more work, um, that kind of thing. So I really, I probably had $10,000 in income in the first year. 
um, and then 50,000 and then that. But I was able to also then save when I was getting money. I w- saved that up till I had enough money to cover hiring people. Um, and then, of course, I got to a point, you know, as we continued to grow where I needed a banking relationship and a line of credit and all of those kind of things. But it always, yeah, it's it's a big risk. And you really also have to be very um, conservative with your money and not, um, you know, when you do start to get money, not go spend it all because, you know, there's so many ups and downs and in our business, because we do mostly public and institutional, we have a lot of public agency clients who unfortunately take a long, long time to uh, pay us. So it's that's a never-ending battle, I will say. That's incredible. And you're, you are very fortunate to not to have to worry about getting your next paycheck at your first years. Paul, did you have that same luxury? Yeah, I, I, I uh, told my wife never quit her job. With, for the, <laughs> so I had the same thing. I had I had a good support system. My wife was understanding. I talked to her about this business thing. It's going to be something I've never tackled. So it'll be some changes. I need support. Support, and she was bought, she bought in on that. But uh, you know, one of the great things about the PMCM world, uh, it opposed to from an owner's rep standpoint, opposed to being a contractor is the equipment that you bring in is if you have a computer and know how to operate a computer that I didn't know until probably 18 months into the business, that's what you use. Uh, You don't have a lot of purchases that you have to bring in early on. Now, obviously, when we grew, you know, everybody needed a laptop. We needed an office space. I started out actually in the house for the first, I think, year until I got a executive suite and then eventually moved into an office, but then uh, establishing a banking relationship, as Ann said, be somewhat frugal where you're not spending money and feel like, you know, I'm in business now, I can, I can buy this and that. But I was always uh, blessed to be kind of a natural, uh, not a big spender early on. So that worked out in my favor. And I'll be quite honest with you, it was probably one of the things that sustained me because I remember I had other friends that were in business and I they were in the more more so in the engineering and construction business. And uh, a lot of them didn't move forward because of the fact that they were not frugal and they were, you know, making some purchases that probably shouldn't have been. But basically a banking relationship is very important. That's another partner that I didn't mention, but having that banking relationship, establishing that line of credit in case you get in those situations where you 60, you know, you're 60, 30, you know, I've been 120 days, it's been 300 days out from getting paid, you know, net 60, net 90. I'm going, wait a minute, if I net any more, I won't net, I'll be out of business. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, it uh, it's something that you have to always take into effect that you don't get, it's not like being on a job, you get a paycheck every two weeks, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's a wait and see. Well, that's not easy. Um... Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, the Construction Manager Certification Institute. Today's ANSI accredited certified construction manager brings professionalism to the project and provides leadership by unifying architects, general contractors, engineers, and facility managers to successfully complete the project. The CCM is familiar with the latest techniques and technologies of construction, from prefabrication to building information modeling. He or she thoroughly understands sustainable design and construction, how projects are financed, and how risks can be minimized and effectively shared. The certified construction manager is a communicator, a facilitator, 
a problem solver, a professional leader. Certified construction managers have the proven knowledge and experience to deliver all these values for every project. Make the CCM part of your strategy for success. For more information on the Certified Construction Manager, please visit cmcertification.org. I do want to make sure uh, we get to this question because I think it's an important one, is that, you know, you guys are talking about a minority-owned business and a woman-owned business. And are there negative sides to this? And I know that you guys have to work with a lot of partnerships with some of these larger firms and how you get through those struggles and really get their attention to add you as a partner and to work with those folks uh, in the industry. And you want, uh, well, I'll, I'll say that, you know, sure, it's it's a, it's a challenge sometimes. I mean, starting out, it was more difficult than now because you had no track record. Outside of when I started, that was kind of what got me in the game. They were in trouble with the small minority-owned business participation, so that opened the door for me. Uh, the big problem was the next project. <laughs> you know, you work in the project, which as I was, I was actually a field manager. I was working the project, so marketing was something that was behind, you know, I, I hadn't thought about. And uh, that next project is having to go in and talk to someone that's not your ex-employer because they're going, you know, we don't have a second job here in San Antonio or in Texas. So you're going out having to market a new client, a new, a new owner. And that became uh, a challenge. Uh, that's when I had to learn uh, the, the true side of sales and, and people skills. But there are some good sides to the to the small business world, MBE world, and there's some challenging side, and there's still some challenging side of having to once you get mature, like I would say, Anne's firm, and we're trying to get to that point. You're you're at the point where you want to be more of a prime, you want to do more JVs, and you have to really be able to put yourself in a position with those uh, primes that to convince them that we're bringing credence to the to the team. Uh, enough credence that we need to be able to be either a super sub or a JV partner, or maybe we prime this and we flip-flop, you know? So there are a lot of things that go into that. Yeah, you know, I have similar um, thoughts, but, um, you know, from the, I'm con conservative by my nature and, you know, beliefs and whatnot. So from the beginning, um, I always said, well, I'm going to use these, this program for its intended purpose. And, um, which is to get an opportunity, build capacity, and then and move on. And so early on too, it was you know get all of that and then go after his prime. And we've we've done that successfully. But I will still say that the difficulty is in in some ways it holds us back. Uh, I always say we wouldn't be the as big as we are without it or the size we are. But um, I think the other thing is. First of all, in a big urban area like Chicago, uh, where is which is our market, great projects are usually public projects, and you know they've got the requirements so that if if we were to graduate, you know what we wouldn't get any business because the big primes who we work with now would say, well, I have to hit fulfill MBE or WBE, so I really don't have room for you on the team. So I I find that. A little frustrating. I think I would have liked to have graduated. Um, and then, you know, also in a big urban area, um, and as Paul said, there's a very low barrier to entry in this business. There is an incredible amount of competition 
Um, I mean, there are MBE and WBE firms starting every day. <laughs> I feel like I look at LinkedIn and I'm like, oh my God, another one. And um, <laughs> so as business people, you know, competition is always big. But I always say to people, you know, they'll say, who's your competition? And I'll say, my competition is everyone from AECOM and Jacobs and JLL and CBRE down to the one person show, someone who puts out their shingle. So it's, you know what, it's been an advantage. Like I said, we wouldn't be the size we are, but it's, business is tough. And it's, I, too many, it's, it's not a panacea and it's certainly not a handout by any means. You've got to work really, really hard at it. Um, but it has given us some opportunities we probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And I guess as we could say, it's getting crowded out there, right? As you've gone along in your career and your businesses have grown, um, I'm curious what what people that have been the biggest influence um, in your career and in your life. And you want to start off with that, talking about the people that have um, really influenced you in your business? Yeah, I would. You know, I, I have to say that I, I have to go back and say that I'm blessed that I came from a family of strong women. And um, I actually, um, you know, my mother and grandmother and all of that, I'm the oldest of seven children. And then I went to school, high school in the 70s at an all-girls school, all-girls Catholic school, where you really were raised to believe you can do anything you want to do, you can be anyone you want to be. So I think that combination is why I switched from being a music major to an engineering major, which led me to, to construction management. My husband has always been a great, great support in my life. And then as I got, got into business, and I, was, I like people, so I was always building relationships, but I would seek out other business owners um, to just say, hey, can we have lunch? Can I pick your brain? And so over time, I mean, I mentioned the accountant and insurance and, and, and that, and just kept surrounding myself with people and um, reaching out. And I think that's been very helpful guide, you know, as guides to someone whose shoulder you can cry on, someone who you can say, hey, how did you do this? Um, And now I in turn, I'm trying to be that for uh, other business owners. Yeah, I I think um, I I first have to start out, it's always the same thing. My wife has been a great support. You know, I've always uh, uh, had that uh, support system. And then, you know, growing up uh, in the inner city, I had a lot of challenges growing up, but I did have a mother and a father at the house that was always uh, encouraging us. I had my father who told me my my sister had uh, graduated from college, and I think she was working on a master's when I was getting out of high school. And I'm, I remember my dad always looking at me and I was, you know, I didn't even know if I was going to go to college. You know, he's like, OK, son, what are you going to do? And I, he said something that resonated with me to this day. And it was not a, more of a competition thing. It was more of a man thing. He just said, son, don't let your sister outdo you. And I was going, wow, that's pretty tough, you know. And I said, you know, she's already doing this and doing that. And he didn't say that to make it a gender issue. It just said, you don't have to get off your butt and get going. <laughs> So uh, I figured it out. And then when I got to college, I went, I was going, I went through architecture school and a lot of the, 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 um, the projects you were on, they were graded subjectively. So, you know, I was doing okay in all of the objective class, you know, the, the, the math, the physics, all those type of things where you, you got a grade, but subjectively they could grade it the way they wanted to. They just, it didn't, it didn't fit their style, you know? And I remember a professor that told me something that to this day, 
And I won't tell other kids this, but I will use it and I'm gonna I'm gonna take it to the grave with me. I came and I would get a I would get a C on his projects. And I said, man, what how can I what is the problem? What's what are you doing? I mean, what am I not doing? He said, listen, son, let me tell you something. He said, I see a lot in the, in you. He said, people like you, people will gravitate to you, and I've, I've been watching you from a distance. He said, let me tell you something. A students teach and B students work for C students. And I said, what? And I got upset when he said that because I said, wait a minute, you're marginalizing me. But when I got to the point, what he was basically saying, be more of a people person, understand people, know how people, because it's all, and as you know, it's about, it, it's about relationships. Mm -hmm. And he said a lot of peace. And he basically, what he told me, he said, why I'm teaching? Because I was a student. He said, I can't, he said, I couldn't get out in the world. I couldn't keep a job. And I said, man, this guy, and until I got maybe in business and years out, I said, this guy was probably the best mentor mm -hmm. I ever had. I took it as a fence, but when you really dove into what he was saying, he had a message. And that message, I took that. And to this day, I, um, I try to run on that. But, you know, that, that was one of my greatest mentors. And he, he, it wasn't because he was giving me good grades. He was giving me good advice. Leads me to my last question. I think it's a good one. Uh, th that story was excellent. Uh, is that what would you say to somebody who's looking to uh, be an entrepreneur like yourself and clog up that industry a little bit more? And unfortunately for you guys, that means more people are being inspired by your talk today. But what would you tell them if they were looking to do this? And what would you tell somebody who's looking to start their own business? You know what? I'd say don't do it. I'd say there's a lot of, I'd say go build your career in a great company. I mean, there, there are lots of great companies and the big keep getting bigger, but I think they're great companies and you can really uh, find your, really build a great career and get a lot of opportunities. I think I liked being an entrepreneur, but every once in a while, you know, I would say, what if I had just stuck with X company you know, maybe I'd be president today, right? I mean, so I, I would say it's not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of fortitude, determination, ability to just keep in there. And I think if you love building great projects and, you know, I'm just, I see, I, I just, just see entrepreneurs in our industry being kind of squeezed out or just left in, in some smaller areas just because the projects are getting bigger and bigger and they take greater resources to develop them and manage them. So it's probably not what you wanted your listeners to hear, but it is <laughs> what I think right now. No, that's very honest yeah. of you. Paul, what would you tell them? I, I would, you know, I would tell them to interview with someone in the industry and let them tell the story of like we're doing today. It, it, as Ann said, it's there are a lot of there are a lot of hurdles in business, uh, and and I can't tell you what your hurdle is going to be, and probably can't tell you what it's going to be. You may have a different course that you go down, and 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 but there are some rewards, but there are also a lot of headaches. There's a lot of things you lose out on especially starting out, if you're not willing to dig in there and put your undivided attention to your business, you won't succeed, especially in this business. It's just not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's uh, you have to be able 
to be uh, purposeful in what you're doing. You have to stay the course. Um, and uh, there are some rewards, but every day is not a reward. The headaches, the guy, the, what I go home with, the people that leave here at five or whatever time, a lot of times they don't go home with those same headaches. They don't, and I can't let them see and know all the things that I'm dealing with from a personal standpoint, administratively, whether it be, you know, uh, you're not going to go in and say, hey, we haven't got paid in 120 days. You know, there's, they're going to look for a job. you got to deal with that problem. You know, you got to take that in and absorb that and deal with it yourself. So I would say it's a, it's, it's a great thing to do, but make sure you really want to do it. Because once you step in uh, and you get deep into it, you've got to make sure you're ready, your family's ready. If you have a family, or if you don't have a family, that might be an issue that keeps you from having a family. So there are a lot of things that uh, go into thoughts of uh, starting a business. That's very interesting to hear as a last statement. Everything you've given us today was inspiring and informational. It was just been wonderful. So Anne, Paul, congratulations on all your successes and thank you for giving us some of those wonderful insights into starting your farms. I'm sure you've inspired a few more entrepreneurs and maybe scared a few off, uh, but thank you for joining <laughs> us today. Coming up next on episode five, we will have special guests joining us from the American Society for Testing and Materials, also known as ASTM. And they're gonna discuss a few of their new standards around uh, guide for property uh, resilience assessment and their standard practice for environmental site assessments. Make sure to download or subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at CMA underscore HQ. On behalf of CMA, I'm Nick Soda with Carly Trout. Thank you for listening.